Welcome to From Uniforms to Unicorns. This podcast is all about our experience as female corrections officers, our challenges, our triumphs, and our transitions out of the career. Lauren and I have always had a significant bond. Friends, moms, and business owners that happen to be in prison. Life attempted to separate us, but we always found a way back to each other. We're huge life milestones, tragedy, and random text messages saying, I thought of you today. We know there is huge curiosity surrounding these topics. And we aren't the only ones that struggle. There are also incredible stories just waiting to be shared. And we want this to be a safe place for us and you to talk about the often unspoken world of corrections. Grab a coffee, head out on a walk, or just take a break. Let me warn you, we have no idea what we're doing. From uniforms to uniforms. You are listening to season two, episode four. Today we have Lori Noje. She does have a new last name, but I don't know what it is. What's your new last na- name, Lori? Ah, Still. thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Lori. We so appreciate it. More than you know. More than you know. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. I have listened to all of your podcasts thus far and enjoyed them immensely. So I really want to acknowledge both you ladies for um, taking the initiative to put this together. Uh, all of the nostalgia, the, I had forgotten so many things about my time at EIFW and in corrections. It was just awesome. So thank you both. Uh, thank you. Thanks. We appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, we we lovingly refer to her as the Noge, like her <laughs> last or old last name, and that's kind of what we came to know her as at in corrections. So I'll start, Noge. I want to know what led you to corrections in the first place. Well, I think before we get started, I'm kind of wondering when uh, we're going to schedule my part two. Um, I was. <laughs> I was kind of known for in my time to be story Lori, so I don't mind telling the odd tale. And I'm kind of wondering if maybe we could do a spin-off from Uniforms to Unicorns and maybe call it, uh, I don't know, something like uh, Badges with Badges. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't even think of that! We need that! We need that! Well, if you game, if you guys are looking for a partnership in this, right? Perfect! I love it. It's my favorite. (laughs) So what badges with corrections? Badges. Yeah, badges yeah. and badges. Um, you know, uh, there was heavy pressure in my uh, house to go into some sort of post-secondary schooling. I didn't actually love school. I was a bit of a class clown. Um, and so I'd always had uh, a lot of street smarts, though, and I had gotten myself out of a ton of slippery situations. <laughs> so I was uh, flipping through a career planning book and noticed the correction worker program. It was offered through SIAST, which is now SAS Polytech. So looking at it, there was absolutely no educational prerequisites <laughs> for the course. And it was the only course where there was no prerequisites. So I was like, I guess I'm going to work in a prison. <laughs> so oh I took God. and I had gone and done my practicum in Saskatoon at the Regional Psychiatric Center, which is technically a forensic hospital. So when I heard you guys speak in previous episodes about not being really fully prepared for the environment you were entering, um, when I started at Saskatchewan Penitentiary in 1996 at 21 years of age, I could totally identify with what you were talking about. So crazy, hey? What? So 1996, Sask Penn? Yes. No, regional psych. Or regional, oh yeah, they're the same thing, weren't they? I did, no, I did my practicum at the psych center. Right. And right. then I started oh. at Saskatchewan Penitentiary. Crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. So when you started Sask Penn, there was like a wing for the, for the women, right? Well, Is that how that went? Technically, in 1996, it was, um, I started under the casual program. And knowing what I know now about government and government work, I'm not certain that I would have, uh, I would have even accepted a position of a casual nature. But I did. And at that time, you go into your training in Saskatoon at the Park Town. And yes. uh, they had a stipulation, though, casual employees could only work 150 shifts and then in one fiscal year, and then you were done. Oh, so wow. I had uh, put my name down for 150 shifts consecutively in a row, and I thought to myself, I'll just get in there, I'll work them all, 
and then I'll go back to my job at the IGA in the deli. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I've been slicing meat there prior to my, uh, my time at the penitentiary. And I just bought myself a baby It had a flash across the side of it and the shoe was a nice car, right? But I, had, I was making payments and I had rent to pay. So that was my plan. Oh, so, wow. I think it was uh, 1996 also that EIFW had opened. And they had experienced uh, a few issues with the, uh, the, the structure uh, of the, of the um, environment there. And so while the maximum security uh, unit was being built at EIFW, they had shipped all of the women to Sask Penn and what we called the FSW, Federally Sentenced Women's Unit. And if you had a vagina, you were working there. <laughs> Just oh for God. 150 days, though. Then what? So I had, then they had uh, offered a term position, and I had applied for a one-year term position, and I placed, um, <laughs> I'll share this, it's 100% it's full disclosure here in these podcasts, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, most, for the most part. Um, <laughs> I had placed last. Okay. A CX-1 position for a one-year term uh, position. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm going back to the IGA and probably within a month, they had posted a CX2 competition. So you didn't have to be a CX1 to apply for a CX2. And so I had, you could apply under the casual program. So I applied for a CX2 position and I, that is where I was immediately placed within, I think the top six offer nice. as a CX2 and then I was full-time within probably six months of that uh, casual program. So I was full-time thereafter and continued to work at the women's unit as CX2. And wow, wow. Yeah, it, was, uh, it was a really different uh, environment there. It's uh, walking into daily uh, hostage taking, slashings, fires, staff assaults. Um, this was the first time that I was assaulted by a prisoner. And uh, a lot of the staff that were working in that unit were inexperienced. They were new. Uh, they had the same amount of time in with, as me, a year, um, you know, two to five years max. So uh, there were lots of times that uh, in that environment when those types of scenarios were happening, the, the, the prisoners at that time or the inmates, they were warehouse there wasn't a lot for them to do there was limited programming um the extra the, the physical building was was three uh three tiers with um cell blocks off of them it was uh it was a very very interesting time to be there because of the incidences but i think back about uh the year that i worked there you know constantly it was um i i have never you know, you think a lot of people in that time, they, they go into that environment and, and they struggle with, with what's happening on the daily, but you learned so much in one yeah. year that Absolutely. that was, that was the benefit, you know, for me. And I remember, um, you know, the first time uh, that I was assaulted, there was a, a maximum security prisoner and she was mopping the floor and she took uh, the ringer out of the mop bucket. And she came at me, eh? and so I was kind of deflecting this mop bucket with my forearm. Oh, my God. And uh, I was trying to, we were trying to struggle with her to get the handcuffs on, and we did. But I only got one handcuff on one, one hand. And so she kind of broke free, and we were trying to get her down range, and we got her down range. And um, I heard the cell door or the, uh, the barrier door lock behind me, close behind me. So the staff kind of panicked that that freeze mode and and I was locked down range with the prisoner just oh, and so no. she swinging at me and she had one handcuff dangling from her hand and it oh was a, the open ratchets were still open and she was she was roundhousing at me and I was deflecting and I was trying to move off of the range at the same time and finally I felt the door or I heard the door click open and the staff grabbed me by the back of my uniform shirt and pulled me to safety and we closed the door again Jesus. I, I didn't even, I didn't know that. Me yeah. neither. That's crazy. It was, and, and in training, they show us a picture of someone who got assaulted with open handcuffs and it literally went through the side of his head and came out of his eye. 
Oh, so oh. that's scary. That yeah. that that is scary. Well, you think about some of the things uh, on the situations that you know you go into and what could have happened, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then you know you regroup after that, and you think you you know you have a debrief about how that went down, and you know what worked and what definitely didn't work, or what we don't want to do again, right? So it was a lot of interesting times at the old uh, FSW. Oh wow! So crazy. What, how was that for you? Like you brought up the debrief and stuff. Cause I know like back in the day, like our debriefing was like brutal. It's better now. That's what I've heard. And that's great. But I remember, yeah, I wasn't like my first incidents being in them and they'd shuffle you off like to, what was it called? SISM critical incident yeah, in the boardroom. Yeah. But they'd be like, you should have done this. And why didn't you do this? And it's basically like, you were being critiqued. So how was it for you back in the day? Like, uh, according to my daughter in the 1900s. Again, being very, very young, uh, being experienced yeah. at those times and those, those incidences being daily, you know, I, it really resonated with me when you guys talked about a particular summer. Um, that had occurred where there was multiple incidences and you walk into that daily. And I don't even know, I think looking back on it now, I see, um, you know, different things in myself. Uh, again, that's a particular time in your, in your life where you're, you know, you're establishing who you are as a, as a, a young professional person and, and what you're looking like in the workforce and you're going into relationships and you're, you're, you know, buying homes and doing all these different things, but you're going into this environment every day. And yeah. I think about um, the second time that I had experienced assault. And I know, you know, in a programming area, um, there was um, the, the, the inmates would be walked across this courtyard and we'd, they'd do their programming in an area. And again, this was a men's institution with a women's wing. So we'd oh walk them across the, the courtyard to this area. And I remember hearing a radio call come in and they were saying there's a fight in, in B4 Upper. And so, you know, we went running there, a sea of blue, and I get up there and I remember seeing the program um, coordinators look on his face like it was, it was just like sheer terror. He was trying to, yeah. you know, break it up and everything. And so I get in the middle of it and it was two prisoners trying to square off on a, on a beef they had with each other. So by getting in the middle, uh, all of a sudden I seen this punch come and it wasn't intended for me, but I wore it straight in the, in between the eyes. Oh God! I remember my glasses breaking off. Oh no! And, uh, you know, getting in the mix of this scrum, and then all of a sudden, you know, people are there. Other people come in to sort of, um, you know, assist with that, and then you know, you're just kind of in this big dog pile. And so I remember though that time um, I come out of that situation. I had my broken glasses and a black eye, and I remember a veteran uh, member coming to me and giving me a big girl. And uh, I think this is where I learned about what solidarity and teamwork and the love and respect for my correctional family was all about. Um, you know, yes. in, those, in those two incidences, uh, again, um, giving me a, a good job, kid, you're running to the fire, you're running to the situation rather than from it. And for that, you know, government's gonna buy you a new pair of blue blockers. So, <laughs> it was, it was that where again you know you're formulating yourself as as a, a person in this environment you're getting the uh respect from your colleagues and what that meant uh in that environment was was so so important and you know i hear you talk about things like cism you know defusings and debriefings it was because of, of incidences like that I saw the value in the program and then be, did become a CISM member in 1999. So we sat in on those debriefings and diffusings. And to me, again, which meant even if I wasn't on shift and directly involved with the crisis, I was still called in as a team member mm -hmm. to hear about it, to listen to what people went through. And, and really you were there sort of affected vicariously, whether you were at the situation or not. And mm -hmm. those things I, I, uh, I've learned a ton of also. 
you know, I find it interesting also, you think about these, these um, incidences you go through with your peers and, you know, geez, I can't even remember some of my own relatives' names, but a prisoner who assaulted me in 1998. Uh, yeah. Date of birth, FPS. Yes, 100%. <laughs> 100%. Mannerisms, like if they're walking downtown Calgary, I'm like, ooh, like 20 yards away, but I can't read a thing right in front of me, right? But I'm like, ooh, there's that inmate, that blah, 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 mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I hear you. And I, as, we're, as we talk on this podcast too, like... I remember when we were talking with um, Brendan, I was like, okay, was it that one or was it that one? And literally names just started coming to me because yes, th- right. these people lived on the self pod when that happened. And I'm like, I haven't talked about those people for, I don't even know how many years, but I know yeah. their names and, yeah. and yeah, well, date of birth and back. APS. <laughs> yeah. And how it comes back. So, okay. So from uh, FSW and Sask Penn, yep. you transferred to EIFW. So what, when was that? Well, I, uh, one of the interesting things too is when I left um, FSW, you know, I did uh, try to experience as much uh, opportunity as I could. I had gone and done a little bit of a stint out at the Riverbend Farm Annex, which is the minimum security institution. And so some of the things I I recall, you know, having seen guys in segregation, I worked segregation for a lot of years on unit three at SAS Penn, and I'd see guys uh, sort of cascade through the system. And so some of the the prisoners that I knew that were maximum security, then they would be minimum security. And there'd be a lot of, you know, dynamic things where they, you know, cover themselves in feces and, uh, you know, you'd have to go in and do different cell extractions or, or deal with those scenarios. And then here we are, you know, four years later, you're sitting in a minimum security, having a cookie in one of the houses. <laughs> Same guy, right? So, yeah. Things like that. I, I recall um, just being so profoundly outside of the everyday norm um, scenario. I know with, uh, in 2006, I had an opportunity to become a dog handler at SAS Penn. And they had a kind of a shared service agreement with Canadian Border Services Agencies uh, to train all of the detector dogs within the Correctional Service of Canada. So I remember competing for the competition and it being, uh, you know, your standard competition, written exam, oral interview. Uh, and then they narrow it down to two candidates. They send uh, two candidates to Rigo. So you're kind of supposed to pack for three days or three months. So oh God. I remember... Again, working in a male environment uh, uniquely and what that was like for me. And I remember listening to some of the offside comments that people would say from some some of my peers would be like, can you even be a female dog handler? Uh, They thought that maybe perhaps my menstrual cycle would throw the dog off. Oh my god! <laughs> so I, I kind of felt like you know Victoria Corningstone from uh, Anchorman, and be like, "Great, she's putting the whole station in jeopardy." There. <laughs> what year is this? Two thousand and six. <laughs> yeah, so that's not even that long ago. So that's funny. It just well, it is. Laugh, it's like fourteen right? years ago. <laughs> it's a is long it? time. Ago. <laughs> no, it's not. Am I old? Is that what's happening? I know it's happening to us, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, uh, t- my life had changed a little bit and, uh, I found myself, um, you know, wanting to be out in Alberta and I had uh, met somebody who's now my husband oh, and, okay. uh, we, he lived in Lloydminster. And so, you know, there was not a, a prison anywhere near here, but Edmonton. And so I kind of entertained about uh, perhaps transferring to IFW and what that would look like. And, and quite frankly, it was only possible with the good grace and kind heartedness of some friends who still have my back today. And, you know, Sharon, I remember you extending your home to me as well, offering even to put a hammock in your bedroom to accommodate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was fun. We had some good times, Noj. Oh, it was great. It really was. Uh, but that none of that, that commuting back and forth from, from, uh, you know, Kit Scotty to Edmonton to the women's prison would not have been possible if I wouldn't have the support of my friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it was such a different environment um, to go into. I started at EIFW in 2008. 
and it was January of 2008 and it was a whole new kettle of fish for me. Yeah. And all of the skill set that I had with dealing with male prisoners did not work in that environment. <laughs> and I learned some of those things the hard way. And I remember uh, coming into very first day and uh, it was, you know, start at eight in the morning, come in for your orientation. And, and at that time I had 12 years experience and I walked in and I said to, um, the gal that was taking me around, she's a correctional manager, and she, I said, why are there male visitors in VNC at 8 a.m.? And she says, those are not visitors, those are the residents. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, for first of all, what? So what? Uh, residents. <laughs> residents, that's, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very clear to me the environment was so different. Uh, first and foremost, um, the deportment of, of, of the, uh, the inmates. Um, it was very casual. Um, and I came from a more structured environment where prisoners were dressed in prisoner clothing. And so, you know, I kind of thought that perhaps the secure unit coming and transitioning from a men's prison might be a good match for me or a good fit for me. And so I had requested to go down to the secure unit to which I was told, <clears throat> we don't let just anyone work down there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lie. That's My name is pulled out of a hat. Yeah, same here. My name is pulled out of a hat. <laughs> but I think someone's volunteering. You're well, like... What I learned from that though was is that the life lesson was is it doesn't matter your experiences uh, or your time in the service. When you start at a new place, you need to prove yourself. Yes. So yeah. that's that's was the messaging that was given to me. But um, but yeah, it was uh, And then it, the next day they sent you down to the security. Yeah. Or the same yeah. day you were responding to an incident on said security unit, right? So 100%. either way. <laughs> but the thing I, I learned there uh, from my time, you know, uh, babies being born and house meetings and all this lady drama, and, and then there were the inmates. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God, no. Oh we're going to have to do this once a week. We're going to do badges <laughs> and badges. Spin-off. The spin-off, yeah. Uniforms <laughs> to unicorns and badges with badges. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so 2008. I can't, yeah. I, it seems like you were there right from the beginning for me, but that's, I don't know why. But anyway, so when, why, when and why did you leave the IFW? I found uh, that the commute, the, just the sheer commuting, um, was extremely exhausting. And I didn't have uh, the work-life balance, you know, that uh, other people um, w would have uh, by not doing that, right? So, you know, eight to ten nights uh, a month I was, you know, away from my residence. And so my days off, I would be doing all the things that people would have opportunity to do in the evening, like, you know, groceries or certainly, you know, have get into a routine of um, any type of self-care, going to the gym, looking after yourself. Um, it was very difficult to, to obtain that life balance. And I found myself in a place where even though I was approaching, you know, year 16 and 17 in my career, I wasn't available because of the commute for any type of growth development or opportunity. Yeah, so sure. those were some of the deciding factors for me to leave. And, you know, in, in all honesty, I wonder if, you know, if things were different, would I still be there today? This is my 20, I'm entering into my 25th year with the government. Oh, wow. Yay! Wow. Crazy! I remember, though, back in 1996, opening up your pension package. And, and them saying, you know, uh, 2028 would be the year that you could go without penalty. And remember thinking that was so far away, right? But really, it's, you know, it's already 2021. And yeah. um, I just remember thinking back then in the park town, you know, um, again, having <laughs> really uh, had an interesting upbringing, thinking to myself, well, 
I guess the government's looking after me now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and being really in awe about the fact that it was paid training and equipment and they paid for your meals and your uniforms and they even gave you a pair of navy blue coveralls. (laughs) I still have mine. Do you? Oh yeah. You do too? I don't have mine. Aw. I still have, you guys, I still have my tattoo. Did you guys hear this story when we all got tattooed at no. CTP? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we heard rumors, like you guys were coming in with, we thought you guys all got matching handcuff tattoos. Some people did, yeah. Yeah. And so we were like, well, who do they think they are, right? But we were also like going through bloody summer 03. <laughs> so we were like, we didn't know who we were, really. We were just like... Oh, so they think they're cool. We're like, just get here and work a shift. God damn it. Like, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, tell I the story. My, no, I just have my, my CTP44 tattoo on my foot. Oh, nice. But I, it doesn't say CTP44. It just says 44. I feel like we need to see it. Uh, well, I don't know if you can. Oh, it has yeah, a 44 in the middle. Hey, that's oh, awesome. That's, that's so cute. Shauna has a 44. Jody has a 44. We all have a 44. Yep. From CTP awesome. 44. Yep. You got my coveralls and my tattoo to commemorate my, <laughs> my bark down time. It's like uh, Yellowstone. I don't know if you guys are watching Yellowstone. I, oh, yeah. It's I like was it's watching it. Yeah. Ex- <laughs> Branded. <laughs> Brad, I, I was watching. I like that show. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, okay. So, did you ever become a dog handler? I think I remember you being a dog handler. You were. Yes, I was. I was a dog handler uh, from the time that I came to the women's prison. I had to resign to take my transfer to EIFW. Right. So 2006 yeah. to 2008, you were a dog handler. Yes. So your menstrual cycle did not affect. It did not affect. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very okay. That's awesome. So um, let's see here. So what year did you actually leave EIFW or corrections? I uh, actually, um, I think about, you know, again, like I say, I'm entering my 25th year and, um, you know, I have uh, not having had any babies of my own outside of vacation leave, you know, I'd never taken an extended leave until 2012. So I'd not ever taken GI or been off or, um, you know, had a surgery or, or anything of that nature. And so I was kind of at that constant grind there for, for a number of years. And in 2012, I took a one-year leave of absence. Oh, and wow. I pursued a uh, job that was offered to me in the, in the community that I lived in and uh, for a year. And so it was actually sitting in the back of a photo radar truck in Lloydminster. <laughs> <laughs> wow, awesome. I did not awesome. know that. I paid $31 an hour. And, and I, I would sit back there and it was uh, the breather uh, from the environment that, and the commuting that I needed. And it yeah. was uh, it was entertaining and it was refreshing to, to have that year off. <laughs> and in that time, I had uh, applied for the Alberta Sheriff's and there was, you know, when we talk, I, I've heard you guys talk a few times about, you know, destiny and things happening and as they happen in the timeliness that they do or for whatever reason. Um, I recall um, just wondering, you know, at that time, am I going to go back to EIFW and, and finish off my career? Can I do another seven years of this and maybe take an early retirement? Or am I going to look at different opportunities? And um, one of the things I, I think about uh, that's so funny, again, um, wondering if this new environment that I was, that I had been in, you know, female corrections was uh, so challenging for me. And I, I just kept thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know if, if this is the environment. I think about funny uh, things, you know, you'd have these prisoners assigned on your caseload. And um, I remember the first couple of, uh, you know, meetings I'd have with the, with the women and you'd be talking about their correctional plans and, and things and requests would be coming into me, but they would be, um, come in and they like they would be um, signed to no giver Lori no giver (laughs) and for the first couple of of requests I thought that they were misspelling my name because no j is spelled n-o-g-i-e-r and I'm like oh they put an extra v in there and a space 
And so <laughs> it was probably a good year and a half later that, that one of the inmates had said to me, they, they call you that. It's not, a mis it's not a misspelling. It's not a mistake. You have a nickname within the general population. It's no giver. And the reason is, is because you don't support our requests for ETAs to go into the community. And you make it very difficult uh, for us to obtain anything, really. You're very hard. And I <laughs> so you know, actually, it's a it's kind of a, a nickname that I I, I enjoy, right? And it, it's one that I um, it's kind of a um, a badge of honor for me to be having been called that by them. You know, it's yeah. funny. It's coming from a completely different environment, and um, but yeah. So you know, I had I had pursued the sheriffs in 2010, and you know when things don't align and they don't work out, there was obstacles. And I remember one of the things that I know you guys have touched on in in this is the direct order to work. And I'd never experienced an environment like that before. In fact, in a men's prison, men are clawing and backstabbing each other for the overtime. And okay. whereas in a women's prison, um, you know, it's it's a lot of mums. And they don't want to be there. They need to be home with their families. And so they, they're not interested in the overtime. So I remember having to run the pair for the sheriffs in 2010. And I was going on days off. And my pair was the next morning at 10 a.m. And I got a direct order to stay from, um, from evenings to midnights. Oh, no. So, you know, things would, would kind of stand in your way. And you really have to, I think, at times, trust the universe as what's why and when and the timeliness of things right and um, but in 2013 when I had that year off um, I had again applied for the sheriffs and I would see the sheriff show up at EIFW to pick up prisoners for court and you know they the prisoners always had a different relationship with the sheriffs they didn't really seem because they weren't guards and they weren't correctional officers they didn't really give them a ton of flack eh? the music was playing in the back of the van when they'd show up and they were seemingly always compliant with whatever the sheriffs were were ordering them when they were shackling them and whatnot and I thought this kind of seems like an interesting job to me. I was kind of intrigued by it. You, we'd let them in and out of the gate constantly. And yeah. so, yeah, I had applied again in 2013 and everything really aligned um, in terms of, you know, running the pair and attending the doctor's appointments and going to the interview and then going to the psych assessment. And it all really organically flowed naturally for me. Awesome. And awesome. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a really good switch in terms of obtaining that work-life balance. You know, I had never worked Monday to Friday uh, in my entire career, and this was uh, giving me an opportunity to do that, right? I, I recall, again, though, going through the training, I was the only female in my troop, and I was 38 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. and it was, you know, it was intense, like you would, the, the physical component of it was, was challenging. And, you know, there we'd be, um, you know, trying to crawl across a football field on our elbows and or doing a fireman's carry across a football field. So they'd be like, uh, you know, you uh, find somebody of your same size and shape and, and team up with them. And so nobody wanted to be my partner, of course, right? So <laughs> I walk over to this guy. He was the only guy that was nice to me. I walk over to him and he's like 240 pounds. And he looks at me and he's like, you're 240? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, it was a really good experience um, for me to, to kind of uh, try something different. It's, in a similar field um you know i think about um you know do i miss it i do miss it i miss it every day mostly for the friends and the co-workers i don't have the pleasure of working with anymore i miss mm. the dark humor i miss the laughter that we shared to cope with the environment that we worked in um i left eifw out of a need uh you know when my life changed and and i really uh couldn't do that commute anymore. I didn't think I would ever adapt to the culture there. However, after I, you know, resigned, I found a real profound sadness, uh, closing a chapter in my life and leaving a family really who helped raise me for a decade and a half. And yeah. I had made several lifelong friends and having learned so much about myself and others. Um, working with women 
Um, I find in that environment, it was so rich in diversity. Uh, I found the softer side of myself working at EIFW and uh, I can be a bit of a tough nut to crack. So. <laughs> I know. I, and I remember you uh, standing, I, re, I was stand, standing at the end of the seg range and you were dealing with someone in segregation and just the like shit that was coming out of your mouth to mm -hmm. like almost emotionally tap into that inmate I was like I should be recording this like yeah, I remember exactly. it so like the shit that flew out of Lori's mouth I was just like wow that should be like a TED talk this is yeah, good it Lori. <laughs> that's good. right that's right and you're like well, yeah I remember that too you're just like is that real is she real is this a skit? Like, yeah, it was awesome though, right? It was awesome. Lori could always like, yeah, if you didn't know what to say, she'd just come in and I'm like, yes, yes, good. This is good. This is I'll just back off. You take over. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I remember us working lots and securing it together. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, you know, really, um, for me, uh, kind of as my, my entire career, I look so uh, favorably of my time at EIFW because Again, I look at what I've taken now into my own um, world in the sheriff's, which I'm currently in, right? So some of the things that I never thought I would be involved with, um, I sit in with, uh, you know, the Alberta Women in Policing on the advisory committee, and it's really about engaging in mentorship, um, recruitment, retention, development of female officers, right? And it, I don't know that had I not have had that experience and exposure to EIFW that that might be something that I would find myself involved in today. And when I talk about personal development, um, it is considerable. I've been afforded so many opportunities as a result of that. And I just think it's amazing. And that's why, again, I, I listened to this podcast you guys had started and I, I'm I was just in awe of, of all the stories that you told, the experiences, the, the compassion, and, and where you are today when you talk about leaving. And you are unicorns and having transitioned out of this and what you do for other people. It's absolutely awestruck. Thank you Thank so you, much. Thank you, Lori. Oh, that means so much. It really does because, yeah, it's our passion project and we don't know what we're doing. So when we, we hear that, like, it's amazing to us, right? Like we. Yeah. Yeah, it feels good. Mm -hmm. And we've been fortunate enough to have, like, even since Jamie's uh, one that released yesterday, so many messages come in and say, okay, so there is life after corrections. There yeah, is something right. if I choose not to do this for the rest of my life. Because, like you said, the pension package comes and you look at it. And I, I remember looking at mine going, I don't think I can do this for another 17 I, years. That's right. That's right. And, and it wasn't even like, I remember the conversation and going, wow, I'll probably be dead before I even see this pension. Like, I'll be dead. There's no way I'll make it. Oh, and, and it wasn't like, I wasn't going to be assaulted. I was probably going to drink myself to death or something yeah. else. Right. It, I didn't know what it would be, but I didn't think I'd be here. So well, I think about what corrections afforded us, even if you've chose to leave or not, right? It's the totally. friendships and the supportive environment that we create for other people. And you think about how much, you know, you've learned and how much you grow. And I, I talk about uh, one scenario where I, I think about when two worlds collide. So my corrections versus my, my role as Alberta sheriffs. And so I remember being at court in Lloydminster and seeing this young kid come in and he's in an orange jumpsuit. And uh, he's like, hey, man, I know you. And I'm like, uh, I don't think so, man. And he's like, yeah, 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 you look familiar. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. And he, he'd come from Edmonton Max. And um, I go out into the lobby. I'm just kind of cruising about there doing my thing. And all of a sudden, I see a lifer who was at EIFW and who's on day parole or full parole, probably. And she comes at me double barrels arms open <laughs> hug. and I am dressed like an Alberta sheriff and I have a sidearm on and I am so out of my comfort zone but I was like hugged her back <laughs> she's like hey you got my kid in the back oh my god <laughs> and so then I realized where I had known this young man from right so I, I went back into the cell block and I'm like I know uh, where I know you from. And he's like, yeah, I know. I used to come and visit my mom at EIFW and you used to work the perimeter or that the, the, the main gate. Mm -hmm. Come in and visit her. 
Oh my God. That's hilarious. Yeah. But I was so uncomfortable, but I, I just found myself, uh, just, you know, I, I gave her a hug and (laughs) she was there for her son's trial. And, and it was, uh, it was interesting though, the, the people you, you come across and. Well, especially the lifers. I remember, I think I was still in and I'd gone to, uh, I don't know what it's called. It's like the minimum security. I forget the name of it. There was a number of inmates out there. So we were doing a tour. And so it was me and a bunch of other like hardcore. Like like Maple Creek? But it wasn't that one. It's the one that's in Edmonton. But it's it's like, I don't know Hmm. what the hell. I'll remember it later. And yeah, so I was walking up with a few guards and then the people that were in there, like, parole officers, guards, blah, blah, blah. And a lifer came running. Fernandez. I was like, <laughs> no, please, God, no, do not. And she ran right out and hugged me. And I stood there like stiff armed, right? Like, and then like, she'd gone back in and the person, the other guards were like, so like, what happens at EIFW? You guys just like hug it all out. And I was like, no, no, that's not a thing. Like, it's not a hug fast. Like, shut up I'm (laughs) hardcore too right (laughs) oh gosh yeah Yeah. so fun yeah it's um it's been a good uh a good uh ride thus far right and um I don't know it's I see so many of uh the the women still that either did time at EIFW on the streets in Edmonton or come through my, uh, my, my, my court here in, um, out in, in Lloyd Minster. And it's, it's interesting to me and they see me in a different role and, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of wild. Of course, of course, that would be wild, right? Because people are looking at you going, I know you, but not from here right? Yeah. Lori, uh, Lori will come to court and cameras and text me photos of my husband on the stand. <laughs> I saw your husband today. They're like, I don't even know who you're talking about. I'm like, well, she took a couple photos of you, sent them to me. It is so awesome. It is so awesome. Okay. So, so things are good with you. What, what, what's your role now? Cause I, I see that you, we can see you when you're in this like, <laughs> big fancy office with your your all the bling all over your uniform tell us about that well I um I started here again Uh, I took a a large pay cut uh to come into uh, the sheriff's world but again I was willing to sacrifice that for my own mental health for the work-life balance and to be able to do my own self-care right and, um, and to me, that was, you know, I, I was just, there was a, a, th- a few things that I was going to have to live without in order for that to happen. So I had to kind of reevaluate what that looked like. And did you, did was, you still have your nails? Did you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I did make, I did make a small, uh, concession for that, but, uh, Lori um, always had the best nails with like the best <laughs> bling. I just remembered that. <laughs> And um, I I remember starting here and uh, it was, it was just, it was a a neat job. I liked knowing what was going on in the community that I lived in. Right. So you would see things happen in the courts and uh, you would know like the different domestic situations and impaired driving and, you know, um, things that would happen in youth court and traffic offenses. And so you would, you would go and sit in court in Lloyd Minster, Wainwright, Vegreville, Camrose, and you'd, you'd see what, and you'd read about it in the papers, but you were sitting in on the trial. And so it was really interesting, uh, start for me to, to see a different side of that, uh, law enforcement. Right. And again, uh, having that, um, rapport throughout my career with prisoners I enjoyed prisoner transport picking them up and having a you know chin wag with them at the detachment bring them to court and you know we fed them subway sandwiches and they were always like really appreciative of that it was just it was a different side rather than having you know I I remember your stories about working the bubble and that constant yelling and buzzing and that's it, that environment. You're right. It should have been a two man post. And it was stressful. <laughs> it was stressful. <laughs> it was stressful when nothing was going on. Yes. Yeah. And then when something was happening, like you, you prayed nothing happened while you yeah. were in that thing because you really, it was like flying keys and OC spray and 
buzzers and yeah. cell calls and watching cameras. Oh, it was awful. It was awful. I even recall, and I don't know, I probably shouldn't bring this story up, but I, I recall uh, was probably one of my first, um, and again, you, we did have an established, um, you know, cell extraction team that would come in, but sometimes they would put people who were trained in there to go in, you know, as long as you were trained on the shield or we would assemble yeah. a team that was not really, a, a, you know, a emergency response team and we would go in and handle these situations. And I remember, again, I, you know, I was trained in CET when we had FSW at SASPEN. And so they were like, okay, so we're going to let you be the team leader. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and we're going to go down the SAG range and we need uh, someone on baton, someone on the shield. And okay, so we got this whole plan together. We've come up with a SMEAC. We're going to go in. And the person in the bubble was like, okay, on my cue, we're going to go in. And I remember seeing the shield and it was whoever was on the shield, the shield was vibrating. Eh? And, and there was a lot of nerves and a lot of inexperience at that time. And the person who was on the OC spray, I'm like, okay, on my cue. Five, four, three, two, and I remember oh. the OC spray being deployed in my face before oh my we opened the cell door <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> Lock the door. Lock the door. I'm going in. <laughs> you're like, and you're the, and you probably the door is probably unlocked and you're trying to jam it close but the close. mechanism isn't closing yet oh my gosh i can just so we need to take oh a step God. back we need to take a step back and decontaminate before we came up with our <laughs> I, i'm thinking to myself was i there i wasn't there you were I'm not like, no, there no no i was not there i wasn't there either but, oh you know, shit yeah um I, I know, I think of a, a million stories just like that. And it was, you know, you come away from that and you just laugh, you know, about yeah. some of the yeah. You can only laugh, right? The positions we were put in, you know, lots of times. And, and then you're right. You know, I, I really resonated with a lot of the things you said about the critiquing after the fact. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I'll, I'll uh, close in on what I'm currently doing is I was promoted to uh, sergeant in 2016. And um, to me, that was, again, another developmental opportunity afforded to me by the branch. And that came with a lot of good experiences and training. And, you know, and then kind of I was back to in par making what I did make uh, when I left federal corrections. And so for me, it was advantageous to take that position. But I always try to do my current role knowing all of the things and the experiences I take from corrections, right? So when there is, a, you know, constructive criticism to give to people who perhaps don't have the same type of experience as you have, it's about leading the way rather than mm -hmm. critiquing and criticizing. And so I've taken so much of my time with corrections and, you know, there's a few other podcasts that I really enjoy listening to and it's be the boss that you would like to have and uh, you know, things like that. So um, throughout the pandemic though, I was um, given the opportunity to act inspector for the Northeast region. So oh, I started wow. that almost a year ago and uh, come March, I will be in this position for a year. So it has been very challenging, but again, for personal growth, I've learned so much, so much about myself. So awesome. Much working with other people, so. That's kind of in closing, um, really, yeah. uh, the short and narrow of the career uh, under the alias The Noge. The Noge. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best. It's the best. Awesome. Okay, so what are you, in closing, how, what's yep. our time, Sharon? You haven't even like. Yeah, yeah, I held it up once. You guys missed it. <laughs> See that? 47. So we're, I mean, we're good, but yeah, we want to know. The theme, I guess, for the year is what you're grateful for. You sort of touched on some of the stuff, but let's have it again. I'm really grateful for the people I've met and the experiences that working in such a, a diverse environment has afforded me, good, bad, or otherwise. And so even some of the toughest scenarios that I uh, was challenged to either survive, live through, or be a part of, um, I always try to come away with what can I learn from this and um, it has served me well in terms of, um, you know, getting through even some of, you know, tasks or 
situations that life will give you, right? Uh, I look back on, you know, what would we do if we were in prison or how would we have handled this with a with an inmate or um, those kinds of things. Um, it's, I've been very grateful for the career that I've had, um, the people that I've met, and along the way, those are lifelong friendships. And I think you can really only experience that by by going to battle um, in the trenches day in day out with people that have your back and I don't see that in other occupations quite frankly right yeah yeah. 100% well you're an amazing person like you are amazing like everybody should know you and I, I know like to know you is to love you and all of those experiences we had with you like we keep them forever because I, I actually remember peeing my pants at the story that Laurie, like we're all sitting around the front. I won't tell the story, but we're all sitting around the front desk and Laurie's telling the story and I had to pee, but I was not leaving in the middle of a Laurie story. <laughs> I peed my pants. Uh, thank God I was standing and not like sitting on a chair or something like that. And you can't really tell in those uniforms that you've, I was laughing so hard and I just was like oh my gosh I can't believe I just beat myself but it was a good story and I love like I remember us like sitting around Lori's at the why were you at the front desk for so long or was that just where they put you I don't know why I was there but I do I do enjoy uh remembering that you know that 45 minutes until you were cut loose from your shift and that really that opportunity to engage with people and and yeah learn about them and share a laugh or or laugh at something that happened on the shift or you know uh I I believe I brought this raw um natural Saskatchewan piece to Alberta when I, you know, and uh, I knew I, I said I wasn't going to tell this story but I am going to leave this for a few to have a chuckle about I I don't know if anyone in the province of Alberta had ever lit a fart on fire prior to my uh, <laughs> introducing this um you know to Alberta so you're welcome you have to say what oh yeah oh yeah I remember that <laughs> Oh man, she can't say why. <laughs> and we're we're gonna go out on a high here. So we loved having you. Yeah, thanks thank so you much so for doing much. this. Yeah, you're you've been our hardest guest to book so far. I know. Other than the Queen, who yeah. just finally <laughs> agreed to do it with us. So, well, thank you for the opportunity. Like I said, you were both uh, sight for sore eyes. So it was good to catch up with you both. I've enjoyed every podcast. I look more. I look forward to the more that are coming. So keep awesome. up the good work, and I absolutely love you guys. Love, love you. you too. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye, Lauren. Bye. Hey, that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure that you subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released. And if you have a second, we would love a review. You can find us on Instagram at From Uniforms to Unicorns. And if you happen to know anyone else that would be interested in tuning in, please share this podcast with them. We greatly appreciate it. Love, Lauren and Sharon.